Welcome to our first podcast. We are your hosts, Karina Buckley and Alicia Siska. And this is the Learning Development Project. Today, we're thrilled to welcome as our first guest a veritable legend of learning <laughs> development, Dr. John Hilsden, who until recently was Associate Professor and Head of Learning Support and Wellbeing at the University of Plymouth. John, with a group of like-minded others, was one of the founders of Aldine following a successful symposium at London Metropolitan University in 2002, I think. And in 2005, he was awarded a National Teaching Fellowship for his invaluable contributions to learning development. Today, we'll be talking about his now classic book, Learning Development in Higher Education, co-edited with Peter Hartley, Christine Keenan, Sandra Sinfield and Michelle Verity, um, published by Paul Grave Macmillan back in 2011. So thank you very much, John, for joining us today. You're welcome. I, I have to point out straight away, though, that the the Learn Higher book was um, obviously, a, I think, over 30 contributors. So a lot of people's work, certainly not my, my book, but, I, you know, I, I certainly made a, a contribution to it. But thanks for the thanks for the lovely introduction. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, when I met you, well, you were still the chair of the Aldean Steering Group and I was brand new into learning development at that point. And I feel you did much to shape the association as we know it today, I think you you were the foundation, the roots of what the association actually came to look like. Well, I think there were there was a core group of people who had come together um, around 2000 and 2002, 3, um, as, as you said in the introduction. Um, and I, I you know, I, I don't want to claim uh, any more responsibilities than than is my due. I mean, I, I certainly played a role in bringing people together um, because I was really keen to find support. I felt isolated and um, some, somewhat cut off being a, a lone practitioner in a, a, a university. And um, I was looking around for, for mates, you know, for people to talk to and people to share uh, insights and ideas with and you know the, the association grew from that initiative but also from parallel initiatives that were going on in other universities where other people Sandra Sinfield for example and, and and her colleagues who were also looking for people to talk to. Mm. And there's a really uh, nice intersection here because as Karina said she met you through the steering uh, through the association and mm. we met through the university, because uh, you were my boss's boss at the University of, of Plymouth when I joined learning development. And then I got involved in the journal, the Journal of Learning Development in Higher Education, which uh, you led at, at the time. And you uh, mentored me to become an editor. And then we decided to make the lead role in the journal a more collaborative role. So and I joined this. Look at what's happened. What I know. <laughs> Well done. You're doing, you're doing amazingly. It's really good. Thank you very much. Just to clarify for some of the listeners <laughs> who um, may not be familiar, uh, I currently, I took over from uh, John as co-lead of the journal when you left in, was, was it end of 2019, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd already, I, was, I kept trying to retire, um, but somehow I just couldn't let go of the journal. You know how it, how it is with some things yes. we've been involved for a long time. Um, but actually, it, it's, it's lovely to see the, the journal flourishing and moving in, you know, in so many interesting, creative new directions with you and, and your fellow editors. Thank you. We are very excited and, you know, about so many potentialities within the journal. Well, we, we kind of shared a few formal things about you and what you do, but I wonder what other aspects of your life and influences you would want to share with us and the listeners and, you know, what is important to you? What do you do now and what should we know? <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you want me to look back and look forward as well? Um, well, I'm, I think I've always wanted to, um, I've always wanted to encourage people to take part in whatever it is that they're doing in a way that enables them to fulfill their potential as far as possible. I mean, I've, I went into teaching because to be frank, I didn't know what else to do when I left university in 1978. And luckily I liked it. And I was working at a further education college in, in the north of England. And um, I immediately noticed what seemed like a tremendous um, missed opportunity, if you like, in that people were spending endless time in classrooms doing things that nobody seemed to be particularly engaged in and uh, at best seemed to be kind of ticking boxes. Um, I kept thinking, wow. It, it could be so much more interesting. So the, the perspective I developed in further education as a, as a part-time lecturer back in uh, the late 70s was um, um, stu students themselves actually need to be involved in what's going on. So let's find ways to consult them wherever possible. So that drive, I think, has always has always led me. And so I, I went on to do a certificate of education and got interested in um, learning from a slightly more academic perspective, I suppose. That, that sort of, um, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that, that was that was good. But what really tipped things for me was during um, the 80s, um, Many people were being made unemployed. The, the, the economy was, was, was crashing, especially the traditional uh, industries um, in the northwest um, and the northeast, um, coal mining and, and textile work, etc. Suddenly, there was a, a vast influx of guys, mostly guys, um, because the, 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 the women were, were mostly working at home, um, who had worked in textile mills. Um, and needed suddenly to attend college to improve their English in order to get their benefits. Um, and there was no work for them. So these people, suddenly we had to try and respond to, to this requirement to, uh, to provide relevant education. Um, and so I got interested in the language related issues. I went off and did a master's at Lancaster University. And it was there that I started to think about how language and learning are so incredibly interrelated and, and how 
the language of the learner and the, the, the learner's context has got to be the starting point in education. And, you know, I mean, that led me on to developing ideas about learning development, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I think actually this is a great uh, moment to steer this conversation back to the book because we really, because it, it's such a, you know, defining book for, for learning development. Um, and so I just wonder if you could tell us something maybe about the, the origin story of the book. Well, um, back in the, um, uh, back in the early part of the century, um, I know it might seem incredible now, but the government had some money to invest and was persuaded through a number of, of, of reports to invest in the quality of teaching in higher education. And um, I mean, there are many caveats one could make about how that was interpreted and, and where the drive was coming from, but that's a, another, there are many threads to that story. But it, it led to an initiative called the Centres for Excellence in Teaching and Learning in Higher Education, the, the so-called kettles or settles, depending on uh, your preference. Um, and as learning development was, was kind of picking up at that time in the early um, 2000s, um, we were influenced and inspired to apply. Um, and uh, I've, you'll have to forgive my memory failing, but um, from Liverpool Hope University, Jill Armstrong attended the first learning development conference and she presented about this opportunity and said basically who's interested and you know lots of us put our hands up because the thought of getting some resources obviously um, was extremely attractive given that we were we were operating um, with very minimal resources and very minimal staff levels and it was big money you know in the millions um, so we actually put together a little um, uh, uh, I don't know what to call them I suppose a coordinating group who were uh, I think there were 16 universities represented um, so learning developers from those universities got together began to meet and formulate ideas about how we would um, uh, develop this bid and we were successful and from 2005 to 2010, there was a Centre for Excellence in Teaching and Learning called Learn Higher, uh, which still exists and can still be accessed via the Aldine site or, or independently. I'm not absolutely sure about that. I think it's it's now fully part of Aldine. Uh, Karina, obviously, <laughs> correct me on that. Um, but for a while it was a fully funded 16 university partnership and quite unique in that I don't think any uh, there had been such a large uh, collaboration or a practitioner-led collaboration before. So this is the origin story of the book but obviously not just the book it led to to many other developments uh, many of which can be seen in the work the professional development work um, and, and other initiatives of old Dean. Yeah, yeah, and, and the book was very ambitious for its time, wasn't it? Because you really strove to define what learning development is a, about, and I suppose there was never much agreement on, on how it should be defined. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the heartening thing is that there was quite a lot of agreement on some of the basics. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you, you described it as ambitious. Um, and I guess, you know, looking back, you could say that. But but I think we were just doing what seemed to be needed. We We wanted to get some writing out there that would not only help our colleagues and future colleagues, but more particularly, we wanted other academics um, to understand the work we were doing. It, we, we felt very much like we were crying in the wilderness for, uh, uh, um, I, I'm, I, I don't know whether learning developers still feel like that, but it's been a characteristic of we'll get there. Yes. the practice. <laughs> um, and so getting the book out there was a way to express our ideas, our theoretical ideas, our practical ideas, our philosophical ideas, state our values, but also try to reflect on where we were in within higher education. So we were looking at the, you know, the historical development of so-called mass higher, higher education, following on from a, you know, clearly a very elite system right up until the 1980s um, and 90s. Um, and we were also interested, so we were interested in the historical movement, but we were also mindful of, you know, what pa- currents of power were, were were flowing through the sector and where they were coming from. In other words, the influence of um, a kind of restructuring, globalizing economy where neoliberal ideas were, were really permeating all areas of practice, not just in commercial life, but increasingly in public life too. So, you know, ideas of value for money, um, outcomes, measurement, um, performance, getting data, um, you know, all, all designed really uh, to, to, to monetize and uh, uh, make, the, make the most profit out of uh, economic activities, including you know, education. You know, in this, in that, education is the uh, the 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 industry that provides um, workers for, uh, for workers for for the workplace and for for, for the offices and, uh, uh, and and other sites where people fulfil the functions of the economy. Mm. Yeah, and, and this is reflected in the structure of the book, right? Because you you have these sections where you try to first define what learning development is. And I think this is, you know, because it has that piece written by you, what is learning development, the first chapter. Uh, I think this is why lots of people think of it as your book, because that's the most probably cited uh, piece where, you know, we keep going back to your definitions. But then you have another section, which is about supporting students in transition. And there's another one, developing effective academic practice. Then we have students in technology and then looking into the future. And I wonder why you decided to do it this way. Did you feel like these are the most kind of key or the most important areas of learning developers work? Yeah, I mean, Alicia, I can't remember in detail the discussions that led to those decisions, but I I get the sense that what we were doing was representing the thinking of the collective 
in, in, and by the collective, I mean the wider learning development higher education network, the email network that was a very successful communica uh, communication channel for, for learning developers around the country. And then, of course, internationally. Um, but, but it was also reflecting the particular interests of the smaller group of collaborators from those um, 15, 16 institutions who, who, who were members of Learn Higher. Um, so it kind of evolved, it evolved out of people's, you know, where people were grounded in practice and their ideas, as well as the key issues that they, they thought were, were pressing. Yeah. And do you think it had the desired impact on, <laughs> on other practitioners on the, on the field? Hang on, let me just check my royalties. Uh, <laughs> On the one platform that I checked, it's still thirty-three pounds. It's holding quite well. <laughs> well, um, I, I, I don't know about sales um, or readership. Um, I mean, I know, I, I know the, I know it's been cited reasonably frequently. Um, so, I'm confident that it's had a really beneficial effect for people in the field of learning development, probably in some you know, parallel fields around educational development as well. Um, I'm not so sure that it's permeated management consciousness, especially not senior management consciousness. Uh, I mean, I, I, I may be wrong. I'm a little bit out of touch with, with HE for the last couple of years, but no, I, I, I'd have to say, I don't think it was a, a massive success in that respect, but you know, it's 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 one of a number of resources. Um, yeah, so, and I, I see it as an essential one. Yeah, absolutely. But how do you feel then about the book still being the only book on learning development? Essentially, I mean, there are articles, but there isn't another one, um, you know, publication in the form of a book that that tackles that uh, uh, the field, the development of the field. So are you maybe disappointed that nothing has been released that would address the need? Is there one? Of course, it would be wonderful to see more, um, to see more writing about learning development and, and, and see it gain, gaining attention, um, you know, within higher education and, and more broadly. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, the it's it's probably like many of these things a drip drip process and in future initiatives will build on some of the knowledge developed uh, uh, in the book i'm sure yeah anything you would have done differently in the book oh my goodness i think uh, it, we were so fortunate in that we had funding allowing us to meet face to face i mean looking back from where we are now, it seems almost incredible that we were able to just get time out, take trains, meet each other in cities around the country and even fly off to conferences in other countries. Um, uh, I mean, I'm not sure that we would want to promote too much of the sort of carbon emitting travel, but nonetheless, it was, it was wonderful to be able to work with people face to face. So, I don't know whether that's, that kind of opportunity could exist again, um, but I'm not really answering your question because no, I, I can't think what we might have done differently. Um, 
you know, you learn these things as you go along and uh, any lessons have to be applied to, to future projects, I guess. Um, and for me, the great lesson of these sorts of projects is always how do you facilitate good collaborative work? Where where people where people can you know express themselves in in a in an atmosphere where they feel that they'll be listened to and their contribution will be valued. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are so many areas of the book that I wanted to kind of pick on, but there's one thing you say towards the very end, which I was hoping you would maybe say something more about. You say that learning developers are not powerless in shaping the future of their work. Mm. Um, where do you feel that power lies within learning developers and are we using it? Hmm. I think, you know, it's, um, our power is, 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 is obviously limited and context will dictate how or how much or how little one has. Um, there is always the option, though, to exercise some agency in whatever role you 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 inhabit. Um, so I think, you know, learning development wanted to walk the talk. We wanted to encourage ourselves as much as to encourage our students to to use whatever agency we had to speak out and to ask questions. Sometimes the asking of questions can be one of the most powerful things to do. And it's difficult for those in authority who may wish to curtail um, one's uh, action. It's difficult to suppress questions. Hmm. Well, I'm glad we're asking them then. <laughs> for me, one of the overriding messages that comes through, particularly from the conclusion, and don't worry, I'm not expecting you to remember everything that you wrote in the conclusion, <laughs> is that learning development is the thread that runs through all of higher education. Mm -hmm. So taking that idea, do you still feel like a learning developer? Can you still maintain that identity outside of practice? For me personally, yes, I, I do, because... Um, the, the learning development ethos also informs what I'm doing. Uh, I'm semi-retired, but I'm, I work as a counsellor and I'm doing some work for the NHS and some work privately. So I'm working one-to-one -one with people, providing an opportunity for people to talk about what's going on for them um, and reflect on what they, they might want to change and how they might do it. So I'm st I still feel in that sense that I'm working as a learning developer because um, thera therapy is very much, I think, about um, learning in a therapeutic context, um, albeit with the help of a, of a therapist or in the presence of a therapist. So providing a, providing a space where people feel comfortable, um, being willing to ask sometimes difficult questions, which may be seen as challenging, uh, but laying the ground for that to make it as, as, as safe as possible. I think these are very much learning development type activities um, and uh, wanting to work alongside someone to, uh, to make a difference for themselves. That also I see as very much central to, to learning development. Mm, I think our audience, um, learning developers in the audience would certainly 
recognise uh, that in themselves. Um, are there any ways in which the profession has moved on, do you think, in the last 10 years that it might have changed? Well, I certainly get the sense of a more confident community mm. when, you know, if you look back over the um, issues of the journal, for example, but perhaps even more uh, um, relevant is looking at the, um, uh, the, the the activities of the association steering group, the, the conferences, um, the conferences are very professional um, and they are quite cutting edge, I think, and and seem to be so. I mean, that you know, if if learning development achieved anything, I think it's achieved lots of things. But perhaps the thing that's had most impact is the reputation of of, of the conference. Mm. I don't know if others would agree with that. Um, I mean, you were asking me, you're asking me about how I think learning development has changed. Mm. So I think there's a there is a sense um, among learning developers of having a rightful place within within the institutions and having a um, a valued function to perform. Now, I know maybe not everyone feels that, but back in the day, um, I think us pioneers in the, the, the days when it was just LDHEN and email, I think many of us felt very alone and very isolated. I don't think that's quite so much the case. I, 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 I hope I'm not wrong about that. Hmm. No, I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come down and say, yes, you're yeah. right. It has expanded beyond that. Um, but where do you see its trajectory as going uh, or where should it should it be heading do you think if you if if you had an ideal uh, that we could work towards what might that look like hmm. we fantasized about a learning development university at one of the Aldine conferences it was um, I believe it was in the bar one <laughs> one night in probably I think it might have been in in um, in Belfast, uh, and a group of us started saying, "Yeah, what would a you know? Can't we set up a university, a university learning development university? What would it look like? You know, a, a, a university where people would come because they were being given the opportunity to access higher education. You know, in the in the tradition of uh, UK higher education, going from the all the way through from the Robbins report." Right, in, right up into the 90s um, uh, and reaching back, you know, to the idea of a university by Cardinal Newman, <laughs> where it should be possible for people to come together in communities to study. Mm -hmm. And that studying shouldn't necessarily be um, restricted to specific disciplines but should enable people to work across disciplines, should enable people to do project related work, interact with people across disciplines um, and have you know, projects that they designed for themselves uh, assessed as a way of gaining a higher education qualification. Yeah, the Learning Development University is actually building on the traditional idea, enlightenment idea of what a university is. Uh, it's an opportunity for people to come together in scholarly communities and 
to study, to understand the world, you know, to look at it um, from the perspective of, of, of a scientist, a social scientist, and, and someone who's thinking deeply about it and interested in it with other people with similar interests, sharing ideas, perhaps um, designing their own research programs, uh, having them properly, you know, uh, pro pro properly assessed by uh, by competent uh, teachers working alongside them as good learn learning developers do. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it, I think. Mm. Uh, I get the very distinct impression that you would shun the word legacy as applied to yourself. Mm. But is there anything <laughs> that you miss about learning development? Oh, my goodness. I, I do very much miss uh, I, I miss the, the the interaction. I miss I miss the communication. Um, you you can't you know there are some things that you can't have if you're going to retire or semi-retire. So yeah, um, I, I I'm so pleased that the the network has continued to thrive and it, it, it seems to be doing so admirably mm. despite. Uh, a, a rather unfavourable tide that's that's been flowing in the last few years as regards funding for higher education and and higher education that, that it, it, you know facing the challenges of of the current times. Mm. Do you feel that learning development should be its own field? Because I, I know that you came back to this issue in you talked about it in the book, and then you came back to this issue in your doctorate. Mm. Um, but it doesn't seem to be resolved. Like there's a little bit of uh, caution uh, when it comes to thinking about LD as a field. Mm. I think in my own mind, it's most definitely a field of practice. Uh, that seems to be to be uh, an accurate description. Mm. Um, I'm not one who, although I've kind of blown hot and cold about this, whether or not it should be an academic discipline, I, I don't really feel that strongly. I don't feel, I mean, th there is academic discipline of education, education studies. I mean, learning development is part of, is part of that discipline. You, if you want to call it a sub-discipline, fine, but I, I don't feel that attached to that debate. I think what's more important is to look at it in terms of practice and in terms of the roles that that, that people perform uh, and how we work in relationship with stu to students and to our colleagues. Mm. And do you feel that this field of practice has been much impacted by the recent pandemic? And, you know, there is so much discussion about the post-pandemic university and we obviously are trying to figure out what is the role of learning developers in this post-pandemic university, whether we agree with the term at all or not. Um, I don't know how you feel about that. Well, I want to ask you the, those questions because, you know, I'm interested in that too, but you two both have much more recent experience than I do. And in fact, I have no experience of working in higher education uh, through the pandemic. So I'm, I'm wondering what, what would you say, Alicia, in response to that? I think this is something I'm, I'm really grappling with uh, still. And um, uh, there are so many 
dangers in in the kinds of conversations that happen around post-pandemic university and you know what should or should not happen how we should you know design the new normal so the language um, we used to talk about these issues is so problematic as well that um i don't i don't think i have formulated my own opinion on it yet i'm, I'm still kind of working through it uh and i sometimes feel i'm so close to practice and so close to to the issues at hand and this constant firefighting and responding to uh, to the needs, the evolving and ever changing needs of uh, you know the, the changing university landscape, the students who have been so profoundly impacted by uh, by by the pandemic, but also us as practitioners. Um, there is something new coming, but no one can quite yet see what it is that is coming and obviously you know going back to what you said in the book we have the power to shape it but how we're going to use that power and in which direction we're going to push it is going to be critical yeah i mean i i i've always really been impressed by initiatives um where people learning developers um encourage students to get together to to talk about these issues um uh, in spaces where it's possible for them to reflect on some of the, the issues that are affecting them, whether it's to do with having to work so many hours to, to fund themselves, how technologies are in, impacting them, um, in particular, you know, sort of the, um, the social, media uh, social media platforms, and uh, how, does, how does involvement in those forms uh, 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 of communication either help or hinder education and and how could how could um, we offer learning conversations that are relevant to people in this new context yeah and the problem of course is that we want to work alongside the students and seek their opinions but then uh, and this is important evidence for us to know where to take things to, into the future. But students also feel so kind of overburdened uh, with constantly providing feedback, constantly kind of giving us their opinions, sharing. In the book, you, you said, you say, you know, is learning and development part of the problem? It's, I and I know. think getting too caught up in um, uh, questions around our own professional development, uh, sorry, our own professional identity and relations with others uh, within the institution um, can, although they feel important, can sometimes be a distraction or be, be some of the problem in that, you know, what we, what we can do and what, when learning development is at its best, what it does, is provide examples, creative examples, of of learning happening in ways that students, you know, find helpful, find enable them to make sense of of of, of what they're required to do. So, I think you know, showing that that it's possible to think differently, to, you know, as we said earlier, to ask difficult questions, but to to try to provide learning spaces. Um, and I, you know, I think, for example, the the peer assisted learning projects that, that many of which have come out of learning development are good examples of, of, of those sorts of spaces. There will, I, I, I think there are there are creative 
possibilities, definitely. Um, I don't envy colleagues the um, the, the, the challenge um, because it's it, it seems to be massive and 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 even more than it than it was in the early days. Mm-hmm. However, you know, higher education is always a great place to be. Um, so there's got to be an upside. Um, you know, I, I often think of um, my my doctoral supervisor, Glynis Cousin from, from Wolverhampton, um, when I was feeling very despondent. One day she suggested that I look at a book by a guy called Bill Reddings. And it's um, uh, The University in Ruins is the title of the book. And I'm like, God, I'm feeling miserable enough as it is. Now you want me to read this. But it's it's quite a playful book in the sense that he says, yeah, of course, you know, the university isn't what we want it to be. It's not that wonderful ideal. It probably never was. It probably never will be. We have to, you know, accept that that wonderful li- liberal idea of, of scholarly communities and learning um, without fear, you know, that's that's an ideal. If you look at our current times, our contemporary situation, it's in ruins. You could say the neoliberal project has ruined it. However, if you're involved, get playful, play in the ruins. It's good fun to play in the ruins. There's things that you can do. You can go on excursions. You can, there's all sorts of interesting things to dig up, uncover, and say, well, how did they use this? What did they do with it? Could we try, <laughs> you know, the, there are creative ways of, of being in such a fractured sort of environment, I think. Yeah, that reminds me of Richard Art, um, Hall's uh, Hopeless University. But you seem to uh, be saying that there is actually hope and opportunity mm. in this crisis. Yeah, I mean, oh, always. Truism. I don't yeah. think you can be a learning developer if you don't have some hope and some sense of there being opportunities. Yeah, and, and in fact, in learning de- development as well, it's now... Um, just a recent conversation with um, Gordon Asher, who who talks about critical learning development, right? And these kind of calls for uh, rethinking our uh, identity, our ideas, uh, where we're going with learning development uh, seem to be very, very much desired and overdue. <laughs> yes, yes. Bringing a critical perspective to bear is is another really important function of learning development isn't it it's perhaps one of the overarching ones yeah yeah absolutely well the the discipline itself the discipline of learning development or the field of practice <laughs> we can have a, a, a kind of differing uh, opinions on that here yeah? but it was birthed through writing right through the publications such as yours and um, we believe that it can only be strengthened by writing more so actually what we also want to talk to you about and ask you about is how you feel about writing what is the role of writing in your own professional life or has been um, what what is writing to you gosh um, what is right it's it's dialogue um in the sense of um, dialogue isn't quite right because it suggests there are only two two voices it, it, and there are multiple channels. 
and writing is about facilitating those channels, the channels being um, pathways through which interpretations, representations of reality can, 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 can travel and, and find their expression so that others can share them. So, you know, the, it, you can say uh, that, that there is this notion of, of the conduit. Uh, the conduit is analogous to the register uh, or the, 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 the characteristics of the form that, that you use, whether it's a, a particularly academic style or a more popular style. Um, and the kind of, you know, the, the following the rules that uh, pertain to those. But the, the conduits themselves are not necessarily important. What's important is uh, engaging in the reflective practice that enables those, uh, those ideas to, to be given expression. Um, and so I started with the word dialogue. And I guess what I meant by that is um, the idea that you try out your voice in a, a way that uh, allows you to, to hear it. And that's what writing offers in, in that it, it, it can, um, it provides a snapshot uh, of the thoughts that, that lay behind it. And of course, even then, it, that, that's far too simplistic. It, it's a very complex um, psychosocial practice, isn't it? And a cultural practice as well, writing. Um, but, it, it fulfills a really important role in the development of our, our culture and um, particularly through education. So, yeah, no wonder supporting students to, to, to and encouraging students to write is at the heart of learning development. Yeah, I, and I, I very much value it myself in, in you know, just staying sane and, and getting on with life. Uh, the odd bit of reflective writing. Uh, is, is really important. Mm. But you mentioned that so writing has this social element and gets even more kind of complex when you collaboratively write, uh, when you write with others. And obviously the book was written with others. Mm. Uh, um, and it's a kind of emergent trend as well in learning development that people more and more write collaboratively. W what does it mean to you? What was the experience with the book and how maybe, you know, what are your kind of reflections about collaborative writing? Mm. Yes, but it has all the challenges and complexities of any social situation, uh, and then and then multiply <laughs> multiply that by ten. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm joking somewhat. Uh, yeah, there, there's a there can be a lot of pain um, in collaborative writing projects um, because you know we are egotistical creatures and and we get quite attached to the forms of expression that we've come out with partly if we're honest just because we don't want to have to redo them again because it's more work but actually you know we 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 do want to fight for our uh, our perspective which is usually healthy so it's very much about the rules of the rules of engagement it's about making sure that if you if you say it's a collaborative project <laughs> you actually codify that or, or, you, or you make that explicit, um, which means that the terms must be shared and, you know, everyone's, everyone's contribution needs to be, uh, needs to be heard. 
not necessarily always included in 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 the completed text that emerges if if a text emerges but you know it, th there needs to be dialogue there needs to be uh, there needs to be discussion yeah and it needs to be done where, where you know in a, in a in an atmosphere of of, of mutual respect and kindness and I, again that's something i think learning developers have been really good at that's why that's why the network thrived and grew that's why the association has done so well it's because people involved in the field do tend to value collaboration and respecting others other points of view other cultures other other linguistic varieties etc cetera, etc cetera. We have lots of people who also write for other purposes, like Karina, <laughs> our creative writer here. Well, writing for me is, I think you mentioned to stay sane, John. Mm. I, I can relate to that very strongly. It's like, get things out, get them on the page, then they're no longer in your head. Uh, but it's somewhere that you can visit as well if you want to an, at another time. Um, what about the people that struggle to hear the voice? That struggle to express themselves would you have any advice for them yeah I, I i think it's good to um you know you could from a therapeutic context take an an activity like two chair work you know mm -hmm. sometimes that can be quite freeing to say to yourself okay well look that chair over there is for i mean you can pick pick a perspective or or it could be that or it could be that that chair over there is for the person who's going to be reading it um and this chair here is is for how i'm feeling right now so how i'm feeling right now let me say that first and maybe make some notes and then i'm going to actually physically get up and take myself over and sit in that other chair and think now who was it sitting in this other chair oh yeah i'm reading that okay and what am I thinking about as I read that? Well, does it make sense to me? What, what does it say to me? Do I want to comment on it? Okay, well, let's have a look and I'll make some notes. So that kind of an activity can be quite helpful in stimulating uh, writing and freeing up uh, ideas. Um, I think, you know, I, I was always uh, interested in, in promoting critical thinking. And one of the, one of the things I um feel most proud of in what I did in higher education is a project around critical thinking eventually critical writing um that ended up being called the RAS project which you know it never really got it never really got completed I think it's still it's still around but it um uh it it, it probably hasn't received as much as atten attention as I would have liked underpinning that model was the notion of asking questions so asking questions in, in a systematic way can be a really useful prompt mm. to get to get the voices going really mm. and um you know those questions are the basic questions we ask you know who what where when why how um and you can be quite you can be quite systematic if you ask you know, sort of definitional questions to start with. You know, what wh what is this thing? Mm. Um, so then you become uh, well. You start by by describing something. Then the, the more deeply you describe it, you you find that you're having to explain. And, and when when you're explaining, 
you then might find well, that there are different points of view. So there are different explanations. So you started somewhere quite simple, just saying what something was, you know, what are its physical qualities or what's, what can you see about it? What's noticeable? Um, then you start give, trying to give some explanation as to what it's for or how it came about. And then finally, you say to yourself, well, so what? And that can allow you to come up with concluding type uh, statements and, and, and thoughts, which can be part of a, uh, an evaluation section or, or, or a conclusion section. So that question focused approach, mm. I think is really, really good um, uh, as, a, as an exercise to, to stimulate writing. Mm. The famous critical thinking model. <laughs> Basically, that's you. what I was describing. I, I, yeah, I don't know how famous it is, but it's... Uh, it, it's Very a... famous, actually. Yeah. We, we get lots of uh, universities asking us for permission to use it, so it, it's made its waves. Mm -hmm. But yeah. if you had... Uh, do you have a, a, a favourite book on writing? Oh, my goodness, a favourite book on writing. That's, that's really You hard. can say two. Um, <laughs> I love Peter Elbow's book, Writing Without Teachers. Um, that I, I, I always go back to that um, because I think it's it's very it's it's quite simple, um, but but it's but it's profound. It's it, it's about owning the process. It's about doing it. And um, you know, so many books are more about the book than they are about the what 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 you're supposed to do with the book. Um, whereas that one is a very practical book and encourages people to start free writing from the start. Mm. Excellent. Such a great tool to use for, well, creative writing, academic writing, reflective writing. Yeah, good advice. Thank you. Is there anything that we haven't asked you, um, but which Whoa. you were hoping to be asked? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about hoping to be asked, but um, I suppose <laughs> when I started, when you invited me, the, the first thing that came to my mind was an event that I describe in my thesis, actually. Um, in, when I went into um, the, I think I can say this now because she's, she's no longer in position and, and has not been in position for a long time. Uh, I, 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 I solicited uh, a meeting with the vice chancellor wendy purcell um because i thought if only the vice chancellor can hear these ideas and understand you know what learning development's about and how much you know how much we could improve things here how much we could respond to her desire to make plymouth a you know a standout university so i managed to get the meeting with her and of course, you know, being uh, diligent and wanting to make a good impression, I'd written a, uh, a brief paper, one side of A4, about, about learning development, what I thought it was, what I thought it could do, and how I thought learning developers could work with academics to um, uh, in, ensure that students got plenty of help um, uh, to understand what, it, what was expected of them. And... Um, the meeting lasted about three, four minutes, I think, because I walked in and um, she looked She looked at me and she said, ah, yes, learning development. 
I don't get it. You were doing your, oh, sorry, if lecturers were doing their jobs, we wouldn't need you, would we? And that was pretty much it. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I was dumbfounded. Um, so uh, uh, I think I, 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 I should have been more confident. I didn't actually, uh, I didn't respond, but uh, uh, other than to, well, I did try to defend my, my, my points, but um, not very successfully. I ended up backing out of the room in a, and, and crumbling in a heap. <laughs> and I think this is what learning developers generally struggle with, right? This kind of uh, good articulation of who we are and what we do, which actually leads me to, to the question I wanted to ask you all along. If, what is your kind of elevator pitch for learning development? If you had you know, 20 seconds to tell someone what it's about, what, what's its essence, what would it be? Well, I guess it depends on who I'm, I'm in the elevator with. But if I'm in the elevator with a senior manager uh, of a university, I'd be saying, you know, for goodness sake, what, what are you spending your money on and what are you getting out of it? Think about how much better you could, that, that money could be used. Mm. You were investing in staff and resources that helped your students to succeed by starting from the ground up, looking at what tasks they have to face every day in the classroom, in the, in the laboratory, in the, in, the, in the discussion room, in the online chats, uh, when, they're, when they're watching, uh, watching lectures on their computers. Think about that interface, put money into, into that, that would be it's a bit longer than 20 seconds. <laughs> Maybe it's a very high building. You can have that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the top floor. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been that much good at elevator pitches, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's the skill we need to develop somehow. <laughs> As a professional. Yes, that's yeah. a good point. Hmm. Is this the right point to end on? It feels good. Is there anything yeah, I, you'd like to add? It's been no, it's been wonderful talking to you and uh, fascinating for me to you know sort of dip back into my memories and also and also you know just sense how much I'm still involved in learning development. I, uh, when you asked me that question uh, about whether I'm still a learning developer, I, I wasn't hesitant. I said, "Yeah, I am." So thank you very much indeed. Thank, Thank you, you John. Welcome. That was so nice, John. Thank you for your time.